From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street. All right, that's enough of that. It's just getting a little redundant now. (laughs) This is Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. How are you? Um, I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. Good. Okay, now let's talk about what's really going on. The bad news? Yeah. Yeah, it's... I got to say, ever since this show started, um, I think I am the most concerned um, that I've been yet. Uh, We are really moving in toward a very grim couple months, um, and I just don't see us taking the steps, not necessarily locally, but nationally or statewide to reverse the ter- reverse the course. Yeah, it seemed like at the beginning when we were the most sort of alert and aware and trying to learn as much as we could and probably the most extreme in our day-to-day habits about how to keep ourselves safe and we've had we felt like we had more tools than now when it seems to be, you know, so many months later and we're sort of worn out. Yeah, and- I think I think I, I, I don't know if we have, we certainly have more tools now. Well, and we have tools. much yeah, yeah, we have much more data and much more information now. So back in February and March, this was, there was a fair amount of fear and concern um, about the unknown. I mean, we saw what was happening in New York and, you know, we didn't know if we would take the appropriate steps and whether they would work, but we did and they did. Um, but now we're starting to see just, you know, massive surges really throughout the country um, and in California and frankly in Mendocino County. The numbers are just getting worse and worse. And current projections um, suggest that California hospitals will be filled by the end of the month, um, which means then you get into a New York sort of scenario where you simply have an overwhelmed healthcare system, um, which is going to translate to, you know, not enough hospital rooms, not enough ER rooms, uh, people being, you know, set parked in the hallway while we attend to them um, and overstretched and overworked and overexhausted healthcare providers who themselves are going to get sick. Um, and so it, it really can spiral quickly out of control once we reach capacity. Um, and, you know, capacity is a fairly elastic concept when it comes to hospital rooms and beds and providers. But there's only so so far you can stretch the, the rubber band. Um, and so it's really, you know, it's really looking pretty dire, frankly, at this point. Uh, well, well, how are things looking right now for, in your work at the emergency room in Ukiah? So the, the hospitalization rate is still fairly stable. There are a total of nine people hospitalized as of last night in the county, three in the ICU. We are seeing a lot of people coming through the ER, you know, at least anecdotally, uh, on my last shift, which was Monday evening. Um, there was just a lot of COVID, um, quite a bit. And, you know, most of the people are doing fine, um, but, you know, appropriately wanting to get checked and make sure they're they're doing okay. Um, and, and these are people who have... Positive COVID tests, you know it's Positive COVID. COVID or, or being diagnosed in the ER, coming in with you know, COVID-like symptoms and requiring a, an evaluation, which would then 
precipitate a COVID test. Um, and so we're, we're starting to see a fair amount of it. And as we know, you know, the, the acute phase of this illness is delayed by, you know, five to 10 days, um, as is the death rate. So I, 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 we're starting already to see increased you know, death rates both um, statewide and nationally, um, and hospitalization rates just keep going up and up and up. Um, and with the recent holiday, I just don't see that reversing in any real sense. Okay, well, just for, you know, tradition, let's do the numbers. Okay. And then so, we'll open up the phone lines, and we've got an email question as well. Yeah, I might have already sort of touched on the email question, but let me run the numbers first. Um, 1,632 confirmed COVID cases in the county of Mendocino. That is 52 more than on mon- than we had on Monday. So that's a pretty high rate of climb. Um, total of 36,033 tests, of which are about 1,580 are pending. Hospitalization, as I mentioned, is nine total, three in the ICU. Um, the seven-day um, delayed average is 22 a day, and positivity is still inching up. We're at 4.2, um, with about 400 people in quarantine currently. Uh, so, yeah, and I'll, let me, I'll talk about quarantine in a minute, because that's actually likely going to change given recent events. Um, Sonoma County is about where we are. California added 16, over 16,000 cases in the last 24 hours. Nearly 120 people died just in California. California in the last 24 hours from COVID. Hospitalization um, in the state of California is up 82% over the last two weeks. Um, We are now with approximately 9,000 people hospitalized with COVID in California. That's more than the peak we had um, late July. So we are really kind of getting tight already, um, both locally and statewide. The U.S. is similarly on a fairly grim trajectory, trajectory, um, 184,000 cases. That's kind of where it's been for the last 10 days to two weeks uh, in the last 24 hours. The death rate, unfortunately, is climbing again. It's close to the peak that we had back in March. Um, 2,600 people died from COVID just in the last 24 hours in this country um, with nearly two or over 270,000 deaths. So pretty sobering numbers, frankly. Definitely. Good news um, is the UK approved the Pfizer vaccine, um, which is reassuring because it doesn't go through the unfortunately named warp speed review um, process. Uh, They had their own independent review and they approved it um, either this morning or last night. which is great. It you know the the FDA is a little bit slower. Um, they have a slightly more data driven um, review process, which just takes more time. And I think the UK had really put a lot of uh, procedures into place to expedite the review in a way that the FDA unfortunately hasn't. Right, and the FDA is going to make some room for public comment as well, right? Don't they go through that whole system? They do. I'm not sure, you know, how much that will delay their approval, uh, frankly. Um, But they're meeting, I think, on the 11th. Um, And so approval will probably be forthcoming soon thereafter, um, which is good. Um, And others are national news, which will affect us all here. Um, The CDC 
released guidelines as to distribution of the first sort of allotment of vaccines. Um, and appropriately, uh, they're going to distribute to healthcare workers and to uh, residents of elder care facilities. Inappropriately, there is really no no plan or mention of vaccination of the 2.3 million people that are incarcerated in this country, um, which is an inexcusable um, and intentional uh, decision. So that's 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 frankly fairly shocking. Um, it's going to, I mean, as we saw in San Quentin, I believe the number of people who have died from COVID just in San Quentin is around 60. Um, and so, you know, if we're going to keep 2.3 million people in jails and prisons, we certainly, you know, owe it to them to uh, prioritize the at least the high-risk individuals um, to get the vaccine early. But that's not happening um, yet, at least. Um other news, the CDC finally um, revised their quarantine uh, recommendations. Oh. And so we had been sort of laboring under this two-week quarantine, which frankly has been really burdensome for many of us. Um, and they finally uh, revised it downward. We know after exposure, um, over 90% of people are going to develop symptoms within seven days. And they have now revised it that you can quarantine for only seven days after exposure, uh, provided that you get a test at, at the end of those seven days. And if you don't get a test, then you only need to quarantine for 10 days. So the two-week um, quarantine is hopefully going to become a thing of the past, which is probably good news for the 400 people in the county of Mendocino right. who are currently in quarantine. In quarantine. Yeah. I do have some friends who um, one of the family members tested positive, and they're going to get out of their isolation before the family is out of their quarantine. So. Right. Yeah, no, it it, it, it it has always been paradoxical that the person with COVID um, is safely released from their isolation before the people who don't have it um, are released Mom, from quarantine. Can you get some ice cream yeah, on, the way, yeah. on the way home? So yeah. that's that's kind of where things stand today. Uh, Redfield, the director of the CDC, um, finally, I guess because his boss has lost the election, um, obliquely criticized um, the president's handling of the pandemic regarding mask wearing, but somewhat soberingly um, projected or predicted that there could be as many as 450,000 U.S. deaths by February. And maybe it's a lawyer in me, but that would suggest... Perhaps by the beginning of February, um, that's 170,000 more deaths in two months. It's just a horrific projection, but I frankly think it's conservative. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's jaw-dropping. But the thing that really hits is this is the guy in charge of hopefully stopping that kind of a scenario, right? He He's in a position where he could... Not he could help people not die. Right? Yes, this was their this was their moment. This is what the CDC <laughs> theoretically exists to do. You know, stop the pandemic. And well, I don't think history is going to look favorably upon um, upon this uh, period in their history. It's just it's it. There's a, has been a complete breakdown. And frankly, I think it's because there was a massive brain drain over the last three and a half years uh, from the CDC. People were just hounded out of the agency. There was a an intentional. Um, you know, attack on science from the administration, and that you know caused people to leave federal government. If you're a scientist and you're being attacked by the, your boss, then maybe you'll go into the private sector. Um, and you know that really had significant consequences. And we can see it, you know, in our 
no mortality. Well, they also didn't have the will. They didn't have the correct. They didn't have the will because they, there wasn't support, um, you know, to have an organized response to this. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have um, a question, an email question. I think it's a timely question, and then we'll go ahead and open up the phone lines. The phone number here in the studio is seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. We invite you to call in with your questions about the coronavirus pandemic. Of course. Uh, it's Alicia Bales here with Dr. Drew Colfax in the studio. Again, that's 707-895-2448. So the email question really, I, it talks about what an overwhelmed healthcare system means, um, in particular with regard to our local hospitals. And as any resident knows, we only have three, and they are all fairly small hospitals by any standard. Um, so an overwhelmed health system here locally would mean that we don't have any more ICU beds. Uh, it would mean that we don't have any more hospital beds at all, whether it's due to physical uh, limitations or whether it's due to staffing shortages, which can happen and I'm certain will continue to happen sporadically as staff gets COVID and we are short, you know, we're short, you know, nurses and doctors and uh, respiratory therapists and all the rest of the people that are required to keep the healthcare system going. Um, and so when that happens, the problem becomes very quickly, and this is something we deal with all the time in the emergency room, is where do you hospitalize something, somebody who needs to be hospitalized? If they can't stay at your hospital because you don't have beds, then you need to find a hospital that does, which you know, traditionally in this county has worked kind of sort of maybe fairly well on a good day and not well at all on a bad day, even without the pandemic. Um, but if all the regional hospitals are also full, then we are in the weeds. Um, and then we're, you know, we're going to be setting up, you know, emergency um, treatment centers. We're going to be having to pull in doctors who are, you know, not supposed to be working or haven't worked for a while to try to take care of people um, in a non-traditional and fairly, you know, dangerous um, situation. And that's what, you know, that's what happened in New York. That's why the mortality rate, or one of the reasons why the mortality rate was so high is just they got completely overwhelmed. And when things are overwhelmed, mistakes are made, bad things happen, and people get sicker and unfortunately die. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's what's keeping me awake at night right now. Um, and, you know, whether we, whether we get there or not, I don't know, but the projections are looking worse and worse. Well, you guys, um, as healthcare providers, front lines folks, you've been kind of planning for this eventuality, right? We have, yeah. Um, but there's only so much, you know, there's only so much surge capacity you can build into the system. We only have so many nurses. We only have so many providers, so many respiratory therapists. And we, you know, the physical space can be fairly elastic. I mean, if necessary, we can, you know, make a make a mash tent in the fairgrounds. Um, but you need you need the equipment in that in that building to, you know, make it effective. Um, and that's, that's part of it. And then you also need the people in that building to make it effective. And, you know, there is the county has set up a surge hospital or surge COVID sort of step down or subacute um, backup facility. That's not up and running. It's not staffed. That would have to be activated. But who's going to be in there taking care of all the sick people? That's, you know, that's kind of a fluid question. Still. Right, because the planning maybe didn't take into account the fact that everybody else would also be overwhelmed and there wouldn't be any extra hands. Well, right. And, you know, the the analogy that, you know, we're used to is fires, right? If there's a big forest fire in a county, we see units from Salt Lake City and from Arizona and Washington State. But 
nobody's coming uh, for for COVID um, fires because they're all dealing with fires in their you know in their respective jurisdictions. And so we're really kind of on our own, frankly, if this gets as bad as it may um, in the state of California. And the timeline for that? Well, it could be by the end of the month. Okay. Um, whether whether that comes to fruition or not is going to really depend on how good we all are in this county um, it, with the social distancing, the lockdown on travel, mask wearing, and everything that we've been talking about for the last nine months ad nauseum. That just has to happen or we will get there. All right. Well, now if you're thoroughly, <laughs> thoroughly terrified, uh, give a call. It's 895-2448-707-895-2448. Eight, with your questions about the situation that we're facing or anything else having to do with the coronavirus pandemic. I think you shocked them into silence. Well, you know, I'll, I'll be more cheery on Monday after having worked five nights. Oh, oh, cheery. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the state that you'll be in, but it's always entertaining. So um, let's take our first call. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Hello, caller. Oh, gosh, I hope we're not having phone problems. Let's try the next line. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I'm calling um, to ask about this being overwhelmed with the, the health care system. I heard earlier um, that in uh, Fort Bragg, there was actually, they, we actually are bringing patients into the county from other places that are overwhelmed. I don't, I don't think we've started doing that in regard to COVID. Maybe one or two patients from adjoining counties, but there hasn't been a significant influx of um, COVID patients into this county. And frankly, there are not a lot of transfers into this county that happen. We will occasionally accept somebody from Lake County if we have the capacity and the, the specialist to take care of it. But I, there's certainly not a, uh, a large influx of people into this county from out of county. But when will a decision be made that we're getting full enough that we can't accept any more patients? And how will that be done? Do you have any idea? Yeah, so actually that's that's regulated very closely under federal guidelines. Um, and as long as we have capacity and a, an adjoining hospital does not have capacity, then we are required under federal law to accept a patient and transfer. Now, we don't and we're not required to accept a patient if we're full as well. Um, but once, once we're once another hospital is filled up and we're not, then we're required, if it's a problem that we have the expertise to handle, we're required to accept that patient transfer. Okay. So as fast as this thing is moving, it is possible that we could have people brought in here and then not have capacity for our own people here in Mendocino County. It's possible. It's possible, though. I think that scenario is unlikely because we are operating so close to full capacity on a day-to-day basis anyway um, that the number of people that may be transferred in would be in the single digits at most, and they would probably just, you know, fall in in the day where we happen to have a few extra beds. You know, when I left work Monday late night, Tuesday morning, uh, we had no beds at the UKIE. Um, the night doctor was going to have to transfer out anybody um, who was going to require hospitalization. And that's not unusual. Um, that's not unusual, frankly, pre-COVID. And it's certainly not unusual uh, with COVID. Because there just aren't that many beds, right? Correct. Yeah. All right, caller. Thanks okay. for the call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Good afternoon. I was listening. Um, well, maybe there's a little ray of hope. Uh, my daughter who is a public health nurse, an ER nurse, uh, 
was in New York City when the pandemic hit. And she's been there until now. Uh, she's in California now, though. Her father is ill. Uh, but I was thinking to myself, she's here. And she might decide to work here if things get really bad. So there you go. You have somebody uh, super ex experienced already in, 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 in the pandemic at its worst. Well, you yeah. guys need a nurse. <laughs> we always we always need nurses in this county, um, but you know the 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 paperwork will will not go away just because we have a pandemic. So tell her to get credentialed, and uh, you know, ah, uh, yeah. Well, but has, hasn't that uh, been waived? Uh, wasn't that waived by the president because of the pandemic? It was. I don't. I, frankly, I don't know if that's still in effect. Um, and then each hospital requires still credentialing. So um, that's that's a little bit of a barrier. But, you know, that sort of experience, um, not specific to your daughter, um, but that experience from New York has really taught us a lot how to manage this. And so it hopefully, if we do get this surge and we start to get up against capacity or we have to expand capacity in a makeshift sort of way, um, hopefully we will have learned enough from what happened in New York um, that we can avoid the extremely high morbidity and mortality. And, you know, one of the one of the main drivers of that mortality in New York, um, besides the fact that they just really didn't have beds and they had to send people home, was that they were intubating people, you know, uh, really early. Um, and we've learned that that is, you know, absolutely contraindicated with COVID. We we struggle to avoid intubation with, with COVID uh, just because people do very poorly once they're on the mechanical ventilation. All right, caller, thanks for volunteering your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we need all the help we can get. I, she didn't really say how her daughter felt about that. Right, yeah. well, you know, yeah. moms, yeah. we get to determine what our kids do, right? Forever. Yeah. All right, let's take our next caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, this is a lighter note, but could you please possibly find a new theme song, you know, <laughs> something like Good News Chariots are Coming? And secondly, this is just another personal note. Where where is Dr. Drew Colfax from? I'm from I'm from West Boonville. West Boonville. So you're a native a native of this yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And and I'll, I'll consider changing our theme song. Um, maybe once we start to see the curve improve and uh, people are vaccinated. But for the moment, I think I'm going to continue to torture our listeners with uh, <laughs> with our theme song. Careful what you what, ask for, too, caller. What else can we do if, if we just wear our mask and wash our hands and socially distance? I mean, we've got to go to the grocery store. I mean, what else can we do? I know. I, well, I, you know, that's, that's it. But, you know, frankly, unfortunately, enough of us aren't doing those things. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really quite clear that the solution to control this is right in front of us. Um, and it's just, you know, we've continually lost messaging on this over the last nine months, um, and we don't have a high enough compliance rate, even in this county. Uh, we, we just don't. Um, but it's not hard. It's not rocket science, right? Wear a mask, uh, wash your hands, socially distance, and don't, you know, stay home, right? Well, stay also, home. I mean, if we go to the grocery store two or three times a week, are we, are we still putting ourselves at risk, even if we have an N1 mask and socially distance and don't stay in there more than 
10 minutes and, you know, get out. And, yeah, no, the, the risk of that, you know, in the beginning, there was a fair amount of anxiety around sort of the, that sort of day-to-day necessary shopping, um, as well as the possibility that this virus would be resting, you know, lurking on your milk carton. The risks from those sort of activities we've learned are quite low indeed, um, particularly if you're wearing a mask, particularly if you wash your hands or hand sanitize, um, you know, before you go in and on your way out. And most stores, frankly, now have hand sanitizer. They make it quite easy for us. Um, so those sort of activities are extremely, extremely low risk. I would still urge, you know, people who are at high risk or very high risk of doing poorly to, you know, really minimize um, public exposure um, to the extent that it's possible. But for the rest of us, that, that kind of activity is fine. It's the more prolonged indoor activities, whether they're in social settings or whether they are, you know, in, in restaurants or bars or anything else that involves an indoor sort of prolonged amount of time that we've learned over and over again leads to transmission. Okay, well, thanks, Dr. Drew. You're welcome. All right, thanks a lot, caller. This is the local coronavirus update. The number to call in is 707-895-2448. It's KZYX. Let's take our next call. Whoops, I missed him. Darn it. All right, we'll call back, caller. 707-895-2448. There they are. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Hey. I can hardly hear you. We can hear you just fine. We can hear you fine. Okay, um, I just wanted to say, please keep your theme song. I think it's great. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll start an online poll, I guess. Right. I would like to hear somebody compose one. <laughs> that would be interesting. No, what you've got is just perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, I would encourage you to get the entire song, because there are other lines in that song that, frankly, I think are, are even more are fitting. fitting for our current scenario. Also, the whole album's pretty darn good. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to push Lucinda Williams, yeah. but uh, yes. But also, I don't know, if we get rid of this one, I'm afraid you might come up with something even oh, worse. Oh, you know so, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's yeah. take our next caller. Thanks, caller. Oh, goodness. Goodness gracious. Double. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I had a couple of questions. First, when you look at the news and there's these enormous numbers, is that the number of people that currently are testing positive or currently have COVID or the cumulative total of everybody who's ever had COVID since it started? Or, you know, what is that number? Well, so just to be clear, the numbers are, in fact, enormous. Um, But the one that you may be referring to is sort of the daily positive tests um, in the country. And right now, that number is indeed enormous. It's 184,000 people who were just diagnosed with COVID in the last 24 hours. Um, The total number of people who have had COVID in this country, I I think it's about 1.2 million. No, I'm sorry. It's much higher. Um, I don't have it's it like in front of me. It's 12 million. It's 12.4 million, I think. Yes. Um, so it, it, it's not clear what number you're actually referring to. Um, well, both but, of those are the ones that I'm looking at on the news, and it you know it gets very confusing. So is that t- people that have had COVID or people that have tested positive? Because not everybody that tests positive actually gets COVID, do they? Well, they're not. They if they test positive, we're just simply calling. We're we're counting them as having COVID, uh, whether they're symptomatic or not. Um, and so the the 184,000 number that is our current. Uh, 
count um, is how many people have newly been diagnosed or tested positive for COVID. The 12 million or... It's 13.8 million um, number is how many people cumulatively have tested positive in the United States for COVID. Um, So those are kind of the numbers that we we throw around. Um, Locally, uh, the numbers fluctuate a bit, but the total cumulative number of people in Mendocino County um, who have tested positive for COVID is currently 1,632. And right now we're running about 25 new newly diagnosed people per day. Now, the, okay. ac- the actual numbers, you know, this is obviously just the number of people who have tested. Um, and there's been sort of a, a public health decision to rely only on confirmed tests um, rather than clinical diagnoses or rather than any, on anything else. And they're doing that simply for, you know, consistency, really. Um, but the actual number of people who have had COVID is you know, at least two times those numbers. And, you know, some people would predict it to be 10 times those numbers. We really don't know because we don't have, you know, a very robust or reliable antibody screening program going in this country. And, you know, the antibody tests are still kind of sketchy in terms of how how valuable their data is that they produce. All right. Thanks for that, caller. Okay, wait. Can I ask one more oh, question? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so in terms of forensics, you know, if you get a local person that, that gets COVID, are they looking back and say, oh, yeah, that's right, I went here and I didn't wear my mask, or I, you know, are there people that have got, that are getting it that say, I've been behaving myself, I've been sheltering in place, I haven't been doing anything and I still got COVID? Or is everybody saying, oh, yeah, that's right, I did this, I screwed up this way or that way? Well, you know, so the community spread, by definition, the community spread is um, the person who gets COVID and doesn't know where he or she got it. Um, And there is certainly a fairly high incidence of community spread. Uh, the majority of people, however, who are being diagnosed with COVID in this county, um, I, you know, at least anecdotally, I think it's fair to say, know where they got it. Um, it's still mostly um, close contacts or some sort of event where they contracted uh, COVID. Uh, but there is community spread. You know, it's mostly amongst people who do go out and do things. The person who is completely shut up and sheltering in place um, and you know, maybe going out once a week for a five-minute grocery run, wearing a mask and washing hands, just hasn't shown up on the radar because that person's doing everything right. Although I think I do know folks who have said, I I, I did everything right. I, I don't know where I got this. And that's, you know, that's the community spread aspect yeah. of this. Well, and the number that I really watch, besides the total cumulative positives, is the number of people currently actively in isolation. And that has, is every day now, is um, topping itself. You know, it's, it's more than it's ever been. And right now we have 225 active cases in the county. And... 398 folks who've been exposed three almost 400 people in quarantine in the county and, and for me those those are really big numbers for they're, Mendocino they're, county. they're, they're very they're the largest they've been yet um, in this county that's a lot of people to be in quarantine and you know, I just don't know how um, health and human services is able to do contact tracing or even to call everybody every day with that number it's, it's stretched, I imagine, quite thin at this point. And I think a lot of the burden of the contact tracing is actually being placed on the COVID-positive patient, right? They're, they're being advised to call their uh, contacts um, and let them know, let the contacts know that you know, person X or Y has been diagnosed with right. COVID. Um, there's just, you know, there's just not enough resources to go around for this level of case counts. 
All right. Well, that brings us to 3.31, actually. We went over again. Um, so should we wrap it up? Sure. Okay. Um, things for people to think about over the weekend? Well, you know, I would, you know, we're between one holiday and we're approaching another. Um, I would urge people, because this is not something that you plan the day before Christmas, but I would urge people to plan now on not going anywhere. This is going to be a small shelter-in-place type of Christmas season. There will be no New Year's parties, um, or there should be no New Year's parties, um, because three weeks from now, things are not going to be better, and we really don't make it want to make it worse. Other than that, follow the five COVID rules, right? You know, stay home, wash your hands, wear your mask, stay home when sick and socially distance. I okay. like it. Okay. And through that, then we have a vaccine on the horizon. Yes. It's not going to be a, like gonna, a, a magic pill or anything, but no, it's but something we're gonna, to be optimistic about. We're probably going to get 20 million doses by early January distributed. Um, there are 21 million healthcare workers and 3 million people in elder care homes in this country. So the majority of those sort of high-risk uh, groups will likely get a vaccine. Um, you know, it depends how efficient we are getting this distributed, but hopefully by the end of January, they'll get at least the first dose. I will be glad when you get vaccinated <laughs> <laughs> that will give me a measure of a feeling of much more safety, safety. Yeah. yes then yeah. but anyway um this is alicia bales in the studio with dr drew colfax for the local coronavirus update here on kzyx we'll be back on monday for another round taking yes. your calls uh this friday the county of mendocino will be having their live stream COVID briefing at, from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock. So we will bring you that with Dr. Andy Corin and the other folks in public health and, and health and human services. And then at 3 o'clock, we'll have Dr. Corin here for his version of the local coronavirus update. And he'll be taking your calls. And that's a great time to ask about the county's response, especially as the surge is surging, what the county's doing, uh, countywide public health policy and how that affects us. So do tune in for that. That's going to be this Friday from 2 to about 3.30. And then we'll be back with Dr. Drew on Monday. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.